Good morning. It's a delight to be with you. Thank you all for worshiping with us today. Whether you are here, thank you to guests and visitors who are worshiping with us, and also to those of you worshiping online. I'm Pastor Mike Toomey, one of the pastors here at Hope Lutheran Church, and I am excited. We are starting a new sermon series. We are going to be looking at several passages from the book of Romans. We're going to walk through the book of Romans over the month of August, as we get to understand God's Word, what Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, and what that means for the living of our lives right here and right now, and how that relates to our relationship with God and and one another. Today, I'm going to talk about the idea that Paul begins that he is not ashamed of the gospel. And before I go too much further, I want to have a chance to pray. And so, would you pray with me? God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection. Heavenly Father, as your servant Paul wrote, help us to understand that we need not be ashamed of what this gospel is, but that we can boldly invite people into knowing who you are. This we pray in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said... In early May of 1995, our nation was preparing and commemorated the 50th anniversary of Victory in Europe Day. And I knew that one of the ways that I wanted to celebrate that was to write a letter, uh, write a letter of gratitude to my grandfather who was a a bombardier on a B-26 in Europe. He was a veteran of that particular campaign. I wanted to write this letter, so I went down to the NDSU bookstore. I got out the very best paper that they had at that time. I got out my favorite pen, and I, I, I penned a letter to him on that particular occasion. And I think I remember that letter for a couple reasons. One is he wrote back, and he gave glory to God for the healing that he experienced after the war. The healing he experienced through the forgiveness of sins and also through the healing that he had within his own emotions. It was amazing. One of the things that we remember is not only that we might receive a response, but also the occasions upon which we write a letter. And that's exactly what's happening here. Um, The the book of Romans is actually a letter. That's the form that it takes. Um, The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the Christians who are in Rome. And he does so on two different occasions. Two different purposes that are found here. One is he wants to introduce himself to the Christians who are in Rome. He hasn't met them yet, and he wants to write a letter of introduction. But maybe more importantly, that takes up a larger part of the letter is this. He wants to write to the Christians who are there on what unifies the Christian church. What brings unity to the Christian church? You see, there's a problem that's beginning to develop within the Christian church. And the problem is basically this. There are two types of Christians. There are Christians who are from a Jewish heritage. They, they come from the line of Abraham, just like Jesus. They, they have Jewish heritage, and they practice many of the Jewish customs. And then there are Christians who are Gentiles. Basically, that's everybody else. Most of us would fall into that particular camp. And and these Christians are trying to figure out how much of the Jewish traditions and customs do we need to adopt to fully follow Jesus. And there seems to be, again, some tension there. And Paul wants to say what unifies us. He begins to get at that problem in the words that you and I just heard. And, And I think the very best way to tackle them is to do it backwards. Can I do that? Can I preach this text backwards to you folks? 
I'm really not asking permission, but I'm giving you fair warning. If I were to lump this um, particular thing into, uh, categorize this text into three different parts, I'd say verse 16 is one part, verse 17 is another part, and then 18 through 23 is really another part. In fact, you could probably make an argument that 18 all the way to chapter 3, verse 23 is another part. And this is how Paul begins to talk about Christian unity. So starting with about that verse 18 part, he begins talking about the wrath of God. That sounds like a really good movie title, doesn't it? The Wrath of God. It's a sequence to um, The Wrath of Khan from Star Trek. But anyway, um, The Wrath of God. It's really not about an angry God, but really more about the consequences of sin, um, the condition of human sin that has crept into the world. What Paul is really trying to get at here is we all experience the fall. We all experience the brokenness that we have with the God who created us. When we begin to think about this biblically, we go back to Genesis we, we go back into the book of Genesis, and, and what God intended was for man and woman to live together in complete harmony. Adam and Eve to walk hand in hand with one another and in relationship to him, a relationship that would give everlasting life. It, there was no brokenness. This was paradise. This was the garden. And God asked them to do one particular thing. Well, he asked them to do a couple things. One, tend the garden, but also... Don't eat from this tree. Don't eat from one particular tree, the knowledge of good and evil. But then through temptation, they break that commandment. They don't give God honor and the glory of of listening to him. They choose to begin to try to define good and evil on their own terms and not on God's. And almost immediately, both Adam and Eve feel the separation from God. They realize that they're naked. They begin to feel shame. In fact, they feel so much shame that they go into hiding. This is kind of a humorous part that comes out next because God goes looking for them. It's kind of like when you go looking for your toddler and you go into their bedroom. You know they're in their bedroom and you see their feet sticking out from under the covers from which they've pulled the covers up over their head. You know that they're there. So you try to play with them a little bit, right? Where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? Why are you hiding? God knows. But he's trying to hear it from them. Have you eaten of that tree that I told you not to? And that's when Adam begins to speak. And it shows and it delivers the other brokenness that it leads to. See, not only are they worried about their life, that they're going to die on this day, they're not only worried because they are ashamed, but it brings strife between them. And Adam says these words, that woman you gave me, men, let me give you some advice. Don't ever say those words. In fact, do not even think think those words. 
you will get in so much trouble. It shows the very brokenness that is within humankind. When we choose to live a godless life, just like Adam and Eve, and we all do, this is the state in which we all do, not only do we feel that loneliness between God and us, but we feel that division, that wickedness between humankind. And so all of a sudden they begin to feel that, that woman you gave me. And all of a sudden that wickedness begins to grow throughout humanity within the very next generation of humankind amongst brothers of all people, Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve's children, Cain gets jealous of Abel for some particular reason. He thinks God is choosing him, and in fact, God did choose his sacrifice over his. But God, Cain gets so jealous that he picks up a rock and he smacks Abel and he kills him with it. Wickedness. Godlessness and wickedness begins to grow and grow and grow. And there's no excuse for anybody here on the earth not to know and to not worship God. That's what Paul is getting at in some of these verses. There is no excuse. We should all give glory and honor to God. It does not matter where you come from because even the creation itself points to the fact that there is a God who made it all and our job is to give him thanks and praise. The sun, the moon, the stars... The rain that held off, thankfully, for the last service. Um, It all points to the very glory of God, that there's a God out there who made us, and and we should give him honor and, and praise. No excuse. Sometimes we try to give an excuse, like, oh, I didn't know. It reminds me of a, a Looney Tunes episode. And in this particular Looney Tunes episode, in this cartoon, I believe it was Bugs Bunny and, and maybe it was, uh, maybe it was uh, Daffy Duck or something like that. They run off a cliff and they don't fall down. They're just hovering there in midair and somebody says, why didn't you fall? And he says, I haven't learned about gravity yet. So what do they do? They give him a physics book and he reads it and what happens? Falls. That's not the case. When it comes to God, it doesn't take necessarily a book. It doesn't even take the words. This is what Paul is getting at. It doesn't take the book to know that we are to give God, the creator, thanks and praise. We sing a great hymn around here frequently regarding that. It's how great thou art, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands has made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul and my savior God to thee how great thou art we find truth in those words and so we sing them loud but in the fall we don't sing how great thou art we sing something like how great I am I'm going to choose to do it my way let me ask you how have you experienced this brokenness, this godlessness, and how have you experienced the wickedness of the world? I experience the godlessness of this world in, in this way when, when I'm all alone. When I turn off the radio in the car, when I, when I, when I turn off my cell phone, when, when, when I get quiet and I can't stand 
what I hear in my head. No, I'm not hearing voices, but I'm hearing a voice. I'm hearing what God is speaking. I can't stand the brokenness that I have with God because really I don't hear him at all. Or I begin to hear lies above what he's been speaking like I don't matter, like God just doesn't care. Sometimes we experience the godlessness of the world in this way. It's when we get all of our priorities mixed up. We begin chasing things like power, prestige, wealth, and stuff. And and those are good things to have. But when we put them in the wrong place, when we put them in the place of God, they don't give life. They actually bring death, and they have absolutely no meaning. Let's think biblically again. There's a man in the Bible. His name is Solomon. He's He's a king of Israel. And while he's king, he is God's chosen, anointed leader. And specifically what God wanted Solomon to do is to build the temple. And so he does with great grandiose, uh, grandioseness of great beauty. It takes him seven years to have that, that facility completed. But he's chasing other things. Not so much God's glory, but he's, he's chasing the power, the prestige, the wealth, and the stuff. He's really happy that he can say something and it gets done. He's, he's really happy that everybody from the world is coming to listen to him because he is so wise. And he can look at all the beauty and he can, he, can, he can be really happy in that home that took 14 years to build. Remember, it took the Seven, to build the temple of God. Solomon comes to an existential crisis within his life. And he's broken. And he writes about that brokenness. And you and I have the privilege and the honor to be able to open up to that particular book in the Bible. It's called Ecclesiastes. And as Solomon writes about him chasing all of the wrong things in life, he calls it meaningless. He says, if life has meaning, it's to do this, it's to follow God's commandments, to love his people. How have you experienced godlessness in your life? Maybe you see it in the brokenness that you have in the relationships with people around you. Sometimes it's a co-worker. Sometimes it's family feud. Sometimes it's a divorce. Paul is trying to get at this. That all of humankind is united in its brokenness. He writes this letter, this later in his letter, for all have sinned and fall short of the very glory of God. But Paul does not want to leave us there, and he doesn't. The reason why he started writing this letter is because there's a gospel that pulls us out of that mutual condition. Yes, we are united in our sin, but we are more so united in the one who has saved us from this condition. We are united in the person of Jesus Christ. Not in our practices, but we are united in a person named Jesus. 
For he is the one who has come to save us. He is the one who pulls us out of that. He is the one who repairs that, that, that relationship that we have with God and gives us the power to begin to mend that relationship with the other people around us. Here, Paul writes in the 17th verse, he says, for in the righteousness of God, it is revealed through faith and for faith. I'm reading from a slightly different version. Uh, this is called from the New Revised Standard. It's a little better translation from the Greek. In the righteousness of God is revealed through faith. It's revealed through the faithfulness of Jesus. For it is the faithfulness of Jesus that brought Jesus to the cross. It is the faithfulness of Jesus that moves us and takes away our sin. It is the faithfulness of Jesus where the Father saw it evident to raise Jesus from the dead. And because Jesus was faithful, it inspires faith within you and within me. Because God is faithful through Jesus, I believe in him. Because God was faithful through Jesus Christ, you can believe in him. Because God was faithful through Jesus, every person on this earth, whether Jew or Gentile, can believe in him and have everlasting life. For the one who is righteous will live by faith. That faithfulness brought Jesus to Calvary. It calls us to believe. And because Jesus was not left in the tomb and was not put to shame, you and I can live lives not ashamed. Verse 16. For Paul was not ashamed to walk into a culture of people who did not yet know Jesus because Paul knew that he already had the victory over sin and death through Christ. That no matter what this world would bring at him, God would not leave him alone. God calls us as believers in Christ Jesus, as people who have faith in him, to live out that honor that he's already bestowing upon us so that we can live and share this gospel message there's a God out there who loves us so much, is so full of grace and mercy, he has taken away our shame. That there is a God out there so full of love and mercy that he joined us in the darkest place of all of humanity. That we have a God who joined us in the shame of being broken. And even himself cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who experienced the wickedness of humankind and experienced that godless moment. so that he could overcome it. And that you could overcome it because of what he has done. Fundamentally, what Paul is saying is because of what Jesus has done, we become people of invitation and outreach to every person here on earth. That's what Paul is saying. I want to go to the ends of the earth and I want to share this gospel with everybody. I want to share it with you and then I want to go further. And that's what this text means to me. It means God in Christ Jesus has taken a hold of my life and I want to share it with everybody. 
I want to encourage all people to know the love of Christ. And I will go into this world not ashamed of this gospel, but held up by the honor of Christ Jesus. So how do we do that? How do you and I live lives where we're not ashamed of the gospel, but we are inviting people to know his love? For decades, the church has asked you to do this, invite people to worship. That is a really good way to do it. But I know that for some of you, that becomes a stumbling block because there are people out there that you know just a little bit, and you would love to invite them here, but you know it's not the first step. You know it's not quite the first step. So how are you going to invite people to know Jesus if getting them to worship isn't the first step? Here, I'm going to give you one more tool in your arsenal bag of being people of invite. And it's this, invite them over for dinner. Invite the people around you who do not yet know Jesus over to dinner. Get to know them. Get to know them inside and out. Know their hopes and know their dreams. Know where they come from and where they want to go. Know their sorrow and know their pain. And as you're doing that, I want you to be praying for that relationship that God will reveal to you the right time to invite them to know that cross. God will show you the appropriate time. And then it might be this invitation. I say, would you come and would you like to join me in my small group? We, we study some words that I find really helpful in my life. How can I pray for you? And then when the timing is right, why don't you come to worship with me? I find it healing and instructional for my soul. We are a people of outreach and we will not be put to shame as we encourage all people to know the love of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you that because of him we will not be put to shame. Help us to share that love wherever we go and in everything we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said.